0: Welcome to the Foster and Change podcast, season 3. I'm Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and your host. Together, we have made such a difference in the world. We've met with leaders and change makers in the foster care system. We've met with charities and philanthropists, celebrities, authors and so much more. We'll continue to bring you guests who will share how together, as a community, we can bring about change. Welcome, once again, to Fostering Change. Well, it's another episode of Fostering Change, and what an impactful month May was. You know, the fact that it was National Foster Care Awareness Month, I think people need to realize that every single day and every single month, we need to be aware of children who are entering the foster care system. You know, I repeat this all the time. People, kids who enter the system are actually entering the system because of choices other people made. And my next guest, she knows that's firsthand. You know, I'm very lucky that I'm actually able to call Shen my friend. She um, actually has an amazing book. I think everybody needs to make sure they get out there and get this book. I actually got this book and read this book literally in two days. It is unbelievably, a book that is a page turner that wants you, you know, sitting at the edge of your chair. But it also, to me, it it almost validated the fact that, you know, the story that I live. And so, ladies and gentlemen, please, you know, meet my friend, Shen. Shen, welcome to Fostering Change.
1: Oh, Rob, thank you so much for having me on. I wish we were in person so I could hug you, sort of missing our in-person contact.
0: I do. I miss that so much. And I miss you and I, you know, we, you know, prior to the pandemic, we would see each other at least once every three months. And so it's, you know, I do miss seeing that. Listen, I want to jump right in. You know, May was National Foster Care Awareness Month. And you know, as well as I do, um, during that month, um, all of our newsletter outlets are tooting their horn on particular yeah. days, want to tell that really good story that, you know, sweet story of those amazing people who adopted those kids who were needed to be adopted. But I want to talk about what we are really seeing within our foster care system. Okay. I want to talk about the things that people don't want to talk about. And there was nobody else that I wanted to have these very open and honest conversations than you. And that's why I immediately contacted David and said, David, we've got to have my friend Shen on. Um, I want to have her on as soon as the month of May is done because she will really talk about it. And the first thing I want to talk about is I want you to bring attention to the story that you and I both read about and know about that happened in San Francisco.
1: Yeah, the story of Victoria Hildago is one that, if you're an advocate like me or a survivor like us, weighs heavy on your heart, right? Like you can't stop thinking about it, or at least I can't stop thinking about it. So Victoria Hildago is a 16-year-old girl who had been in and out of the foster care system and ultimately deemed uh, you know, what we refer to as our favorite phrase, a wall" from a group home setting. So for listeners who maybe don't know, right, it's it's at large and they don't know where you are. So you're you're not missing. <laughs> um, it's not quite a runaway status. Typically, sometimes they'll refer to it, you know, jargon-wise as a runaway. And ultimately, Victoria was found murdered in a homeless community in San Francisco. The autopsy reports later stated that she had also been sexually assaulted prior to her death, and this resonates with me much like the Micaiah Bryant case resonated with me last summer because I see myself in those girls. Like that story is my story and, and there's very little that's different. The only way in which my story was different than Micaiah Bryant's story is that she was a black child and I was a white child, right? Like I had the same behaviors as Micaiah Bryant, found myself in very similar situations to her And it's, it's, I'm not sure I'm, I'm still over her death, but it's taken me months where I can even say her name without tearing up. Right. It's, it's been a long process for me and Victoria weighs on my heart very similarly in that nobody's looking for these children. So we spent the entire month as May, as you said, talking about awareness and it's great. You and I run into people all the time who don't know what's happening in the foster care system, right? These are good people uh, across, the, across the globe who don't understand what child welfare really is, no matter where, what corner of the globe they live in. It's just not a system that they've had uh, reason to understand. And so that's fair. And, and Foster Care Awareness Month is great to sort of bring that up, but as you stated, we tend to do a lot of celebrating and what I call the, the heroizing and villainizing of the system, right? That that somehow all biological parents are villains, all adoptive and foster parents are heroes. And, and that's the story that we tell. And, and it serves a purpose. For me, it, it gets every May, I sort of dread more, and more right? Like it becomes like, I'm, I really, like I used to be really excited about it. And, and as I've come forth in my own story more and as I've really dug into doing the work more of changing the system, it, it's a hard month. And it's a hard month because what we typically won't talk about are the Micaias, are the Victorias um, who have no one looking for them. You know, both you and I are parents, right? I know what I would do if I didn't know where my child was.
0: Well, you know, Shen, you know, I have shared, you know, very little when it comes to about my children. You know, I have five Mm -hmm. kids. I am, you know, Reese and I are absolutely unbelievably blessed that all five of our children arrived through the system. But people have seen me on social media. They know that I have a son that, you know, is experiencing reactive attachment disorder and, you know, lots of issues. And, you know, he's, he's been, you know, classified as a runaway before and, you know, and he's now been as they want to label him wall for um, now about 19 weeks, 19 weeks. And my husband and I have located him. We know where mm-hmm. he is. We have hired private investigators and we have a system that has pushed us against each other that they're not looking for him. He's just That's another true. black kid in the street. And until he breaks a crime, or is murdered or kills himself or harms that's someone right. else, they're not gonna do anything. And this is that's what right. people need to listen to. They need to understand that the system is not working. It's not working. The system that is, it's not working. And Shin, you said it, you you hit the nail on the head. You know, we vill- villainize the the birth parents when, by the way, that's not always true. We That's need to right. understand that. We need to, people need to hear from you and I that, you know, 64% of people, kids who are in the system are actually in there because of that word neglect. And you and I both know that that word, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a racist word, in my opinion, at
1: times. Yeah. I mean, I think I just saw the state of Georgia uh, was posting its foster care statistics and sort of breaking down by the number of kids, how many were white, how many were black, but what was the reason for removal? And 97%, the reason of removal is neglect. And the definition of neglect was the inability to provide adequate healthcare, food, or shelter. Are are we even doing the right thing? So I, I can get on a big soapbox. So when I hear stories of your son, when I hear stories of Victoria Hidalgo, what I hear is a broken system who continually continually perpetuates the pain and the trauma you know and people say well these kids run away like what do you want the system to do what we have to and i and i talk about this adamantly everywhere i go is we have to begin thinking of the paradigm shift you know Brene brown and oprah winfrey for decades had talked about stop asking what's wrong with them and start asking what happened to you, right? Bruce Perry just wrote this whole book about what happened to you. And I don't disagree with that, but I tell everybody that's like moving from a red light to a yellow light, right? Like it's a good step, it's a good step, but we actually have to move beyond that to like what's strong in these. And and shifting paradigm from seeing problem-based behavior to seeing solution in strength-based framework. And so, you know, I talk about this with basic framework. You can see somebody as bossy, right? Or you can see somebody who's ready to take charge and knows what they want and knows how to go after it. It can be the same behavior, but you make a choice in how you see that behavior. And that's what we have to start doing because trauma clouds our view on what's really happening. We get distracted when kids yell and scream or get into fights or have violent behavior you and I, and I hope a lot of your listeners understand, there's a lot of trauma behind that that forces a behavior. But we have to begin seeing the behavior from solution-focused. How can we help children? How can we help adults stand on their trauma as a place of strength instead of constantly criticizing and villainizing people for their behaviors so that we can really get this paradigm shift, right? That is the trauma-informed paradigm. That is the that is the framework to do this. And so when we say, well, a kid constantly runs away, yes, that's our basic fight, flight, freeze response. Totally. Right, like if that's not the red flag that you have a kid in survival brain, and when you're in survival brain, you can't be in logic and reasoning, right? Like it's not possible to be in both. If the bear's chasing you, you can't worry about your five-year strategic plan or when your homework's due or what's for dinner. You're just thinking about survival,
0: right? No, I agree with you on that, Shannon. And I will tell you, I've, I've said this before. If the system would have stayed the hell out of my family, um, mm-hmm. we would have dealt with the trauma that my son has experienced yeah. as a little boy from being in a shattered system, you know, and us not addressing the trauma when he came into the system, you know, as an as a young boy. You know, Shen, you go around the country and actually, mm-hmm. you know, talking and, and educating people. Um, you have a consulting company is, is, you have a a, what's in your company you have a a company that goes out because we have a lot of social workers that are on the that listen to us and that watch us on youtube and the reason i want to bring up your company is because what you just talked about is something that i don't think that we talk about enough you know i don't think that we you know we look at children who you know have these what Outburst, you know, and immediately they want to look at it in a different way. And and in, you know, I've I've thought about this for years, but you just said it, you know, it's like the bear is chasing me. You know, I I've I've not thought about it in that aspect, but it is so true. You know, it's like the bear is chasing. What do you think our first step is?
1: Our first step is admitting we have a problem. It's it's the first step to anything. And and it's the first step to reconciliation is. I'm still waiting for someone to apologize. And, and Rob, you and I've had this conversation offline before, but it's like, how refreshing would it be, right? Because I, And I hear this a lot because I work in, the, in change systems, right? So I'm in schools, I'm in human services, I'm in DHS offices where they're saying, we gotta change the work, we gotta change the work, right? I hear it all the time. It's a daily phase that I hear constantly. How about we first apologize for the things we got wrong?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, someone has to eventually stand up and say, we screwed up.
0: Yeah.
1: And by the way, it doesn't matter do that. if you meant to screw up or didn't mean to screw up. We've screwed up. The statistics support it. We have decades of data that support we got it wrong.
0: Yeah. Accountability. But, Accountability. Yes. You know, you
1: got to start there. And then you have to start with building it because anyone who's dealt with the system, I don't care what your role has been within any system, if you've been harmed, you've also heard, oh, no, we're working on that. We're fixing, we're changing, we're doing this new thing. Look at us with this bright, shiny object over here. And if you've sat around, I know you and I have had this conversation where we say, gosh, you know, it's been a couple decades since either of us aged out of foster care. But yet, when we talk to kids aging out right now, they have the same story. I mean, you and I have said, are we the ones who should be leading this work? It's been so long since we were in the system. But yet, when we talk to the young kids aging out, you and I are both constantly like,
0: nothing's changed.
1: What's happened?
0: (laughs) Why has nothing
1: changed when everyone keeps telling us, no, no, we're doing all this great work. The truth is, we're not nothing's changed kids are reporting the same thing now as they were in the 80s and early 90s when you and I exited
0: yeah no I agree with you on that and you know the thing that that you know and and I I'm very you and I are like we're we're cut from the same cloth my friend because you know I see you know people who post on social media about you know things that you know that that's coming up and that they're working on and that you know the hill is doing this and and you know and By the way, I heard that three years ago, you know, four years ago, you know, 10 years ago when I got into this whole, you know, nonprofit arena and really started (laughs) looking at, you know, foster care again after my... four children arrived, all carrying trash bags. You know, listen, we're going to take a quick break here because this is a conversation that is absolutely spot on. You know, I realize that we've just left a month that we all are feeling good. And, you know, comfort cases, we thank you for all the donations, but we also have to talk about reality. And reality is, is that Kids who are entering the system, 700 a day is what they said. I'm going to tell you right now, those statistics are wrong. That number is larger than 700. I guarantee you if we do the math, it's larger than 700. But let's talk about the things that really affect us. And as we take this break, I want you to listen to this one statistic. The report just came out that in 2020, in the state of Texas, 100, listen to me, 100 children who were in the care of the state in what we call foster care died. Just think about that. We'll be right back. This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that inspires our communities to bring hope and dignity to our youth that are in foster care. For just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Case mission and help us eliminate trash bags for kids who are entering foster care. For every $10 that you give, Comfort Cases will give a comfort XL to a child entering the system. Be part of the change. Visit comfortcases.org Wow, what a start of the conversation. You know, I will tell you, um, you all follow me on social media. You realize that I had been in 28 days in the month of March. A May, I have been literally all over the world. you know, I was in my London um, headquarters, I have been in Indiana. But the thing that I, I want to talk to you about is that what Shin and I were talking about in the first half is I want to remind all of our listeners and our viewers is that I say this quite often. These kids do not belong to me. They don't belong to you. They belong to us. And when they come in the system, we have to realize what can we do for them. You know, Shannon, I was thinking about it, you know, and by the way, everybody, you know, the garbage bag suitcase, this book, you know, it's available. Please do me a favor and purchase this book. It's going to truly educate your mind. But, you know, Shannon, during the break, I was you and I were talking, but I was thinking about something. And the thing that I was thinking about is, you know. I just don't understand how we have allowed the families to deteriorate. So when you sit here and tell us numbers like, you know, 97% of kids in Georgia who enter the system enter because of the word neglect, and that neglect is because of housing, health care, and food, why are we able to take money from the federal government, we pass it on to states, states pass it on to strangers, you know, who take children and we give them a monthly stipend that we, by the way, have no accountability for that monthly stipend. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget the fact that there's no accountability for that monthly stipend, but we can't give that monthly stipend to the family to give them a one-up. Explain that to me.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, for one second, I want to talk about that monthly stipend to the stranger care, right? Because I say this quite often, and I'm I'm pretty open about it in my own story, that I entered foster care in a pair of underwear that I walked across my high school graduation stage in, right? So I entered foster care at 12, and I aged out as an 18-year-old woman wearing the same underwear that entire time. So when we talk about that, we don't have accountability. That's what I mean, is because people say, well, that should have been provided for, Uh, when I started working as a young teen, you know, I've been working since I was 14, you and I've had this conversation, like, I feel like my retirement day should be coming, but it doesn't seem to be getting any closer. That money that I earned went to things like toothpaste and deodorant and feminine hygiene products, because those weren't provided in my home, in my foster homes, like I had to provide those myself. And so when I aged out at 18, That was halfway through my senior year of high school. I hadn't graduated from high school. And so I actually negotiated with my foster parents to stay. I had to pay them to stay. I paid them what they'd been receiving from my state of care, plus a raise because they negotiated a $50 a month raise. But that was cheaper than me getting my own apartment and a car because- I was in a rural community where there wasn't public transportation, and I didn't have a way to get back and forth, right? And so when I began paying them, I couldn't afford those essentials. So this is an important conversation about the stipend and what's really happening in homes. Now, I'm not saying that happens in every home, right? right? I know that there's homes in which that doesn't happen. But I think people would be surprised the vast majority of kids aging out who have a similar story to mine.
0: I agree with you. I agree with you on so, that.
1: So, we have to understand that in the context because why I think we don't want to give money to birth families, and what I often hear in the, the recoil I get when it's mentioned is they don't deserve it, right? Who deserves the funds? This is a big point in our country right now when you hear us talking about things like a basic universal income, or, right, we hear these right. conversations no. are starting. And what we see is like, well, I had the student, the student loan conversation. Well, I paid my student loan. So why should somebody else be forgiven student loans, right? This is a, a huge moral and ethical question we're toiling with. And it comes to the same thing is that we don't want to recognize that by paying strangers, the price of care in our tax dollars is five, six, seven, eight times what it would be if we just helped with groceries up front, if we just paid an electric bill, if we just, right? But we say, well, they didn't earn it. Yeah. They don't deserve that. Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure sometimes foster parents earned it or deserved it either.
0: Or much right? less our politicians <laughs> have earned the money that they get paid to sit up on yes. the clothes
1: and make the- I mean, if we're really, if that's really going to be the thing about who deserves- I mean, I think we're going to have to have a a completely different conversation. But there's a lot with us addressing our own bias around poverty, our own bias around race and sexuality. There's a lot of bias that we have to process, I believe, as a nation around some of these really tough issues. And that's hard for some people.
0: Yeah. I agree with you on that. And you know, the fact is, is that, you know, as my friend Shin said, you know, this, we know that this is in every foster home. We know that, you know, there are children who have excelled with their foster parents. Mm -hmm. But again, I said this in the top of the hour, in the beginning of this, this podcast is we're going to talk about the real. And the real is we know that over 30,000 kids are aging out of foster care. And we also know that if you pull them their story is just like shen's it's just like mine and this has been going on for decade after decade after decade and it's time to stop and it's time to realize that you know shen you know we talked about you talked about the things of the tax bracket and i i mean i want to really break it down you know you look at, at child trafficking Okay, which is something, nice. by the way, people are all in arms about it. They're throwing money, you know, children being trafficked, children. Let's talk about the percentage of the children who are being trafficked. How many of those percentage is from foster care, Shen?
1: We believe that it's over 80% of the kids who are trafficked are from foster care.
0: Listen to that, everyone. Okay, so over 80% of the children who are being trafficked, OK, that we are passing bills about state after state. We're pumping money, you know, into trying 80 percent, over 80 percent are children that earn foster care. Wow.
1: So it's an opportunistic. It's an opportunistic crime. Right. And who are the most vulnerable and the most vulnerable are your son, Victoria Hidalgo. Right? These are our most vulnerable kids myself. I mean, you and I've had the conversation. I used to sit in my dorm room bed thinking if I was murdered, no one would even come looking for my body because there was no one, there was no connection. I was on this ginormous campus surrounded by other human beings, but I had no real anchor to anyone who was going to come for me. I mean, you talked about what you and your husband have done, right? Like hiring the private detective. Do, that's what all parents would do for their children on the back of every milk carton, right? We grew up in that era of our lives. That's what we do. Post it all over social media. Have you seen, have you seen? You and I share these posts that we get from other parents all the time. There are children where no one is searching for them. And we have to talk about it. We cannot bury our heads. And I have to tell you, Rob, I'm sort of over this idea that it's them, that it's the government, that it's this group over here or that group over there. That's us. We have to accept responsibility. We are the government. We are those agencies. We pay those salaries. That's us. We're responsible. We have to take responsibility that we are failing.
0: Yeah. And I agree with that. And I think we also have to take responsibility that we must educate ourselves about what we pay for. And by the way, you said it, you hit the nail on the head. We pay these people. We vote them in. We have to educate ourselves on every possible level, and especially those things with it really impact us. And by the way, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about this, because if you tell me, one person out there wants to tell me, the children do not impact you, then you don't realize your future. You don't realize that's your right. future because children are the first impact of how your tomorrow is going to be because they are our future. And that's, this is why, you know, we, you know, like I said, Shen, you and I could talk for hours. And as as you and I both know, we hear a lot of talk um, <laughs> and we wanna start seeing action. And I will tell you, it, action should have happened years ago and you know I just hope that we see something on the horizon you know as we we wind down to this amazing half hour of this podcast you know again everybody the garbage bag suitcase you know how can people reach you Shin because I know people want to continue this conversation this is a what I would say you know as my friend Whoopi would say this is definitely a hot topic
1: yeah, well, and I'm glad that it is, right? Because that's how we keep moving the conversation forward. So I'm fortunate enough that my name is Shenandoah Sheffalo and there's no other. It's just Love the it way it works me. out for me. Um, you had to grow into the name, but once you arrived, it does make it easy in digital media. So I'm on all the platforms. People can reach me there. They can reach me through garbagebagsuitcase.com or com, And I'm happy to, to share resources, help people think through, Whether they're internally in an organization, how they're really going to make change versus talking about making change, or how we reach out to really educate those local politicians who, I promise you, if you ask them, know very little about children and families in the system, in their community.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I live within the Beltway, guys. I live within the area that they supposedly makes the decisions, and I am shocked when I run into politicians and I talk to politicians, even when I've been on the Hill, about how uneducated they are about truly about the foster care system. And also, I want to make sure that, you know, again, I don't like to end everything on a bad note. I'm not that kind of guy, but I just have to be real about this. You know, I'm also really kind of shocked, Shen. And, and, you know, I know this is getting over our time that we normally do, but You know I'm kind of shocked that you know I see another generation of kids who are aging out of the system, and I do see that some of them are truly change makers, but I think a lot of times is that they don't really want to talk about the real. And they want to talk about mm. you know to make someone happy. And I just think we, I mean, again, maybe I'm wrong. And I want your your last note on this. But don't you think that you know the older generation can help the younger generation, and the younger generation can help the older generation, and we can all come together and make a difference? What do you
1: think? Yeah, I mean, I, this gets back to this is our legacy, right? I've I've always been frustrated when I've heard older generations say, "Oh, the the new generation's entitled." The new generation. That's not true. We raised the new generation, but it's just different. The world is different and we have to appreciate that. I I embark on being a learner all the time. You know, like I'm always trying to learn something from these kids. They teach me a ton. They have a voice and sometimes the voice needs wisdom, right? It's a yes. And it's a yes. And proposition is that the world has changed and I learn a tremendous amount. And sometimes we're rehashing things that you and I've already
0: rehashed
1: a hundred times and I can save you a little bit of time. So it's a yes and proposition in my mind
0: love that a yes and okay a yes and listen shen again i will tell you i cannot wait for you to come back on fostering change you know you and i had topics that we have not even covered yet so we have more topics to cover because by the way 30 minutes is not enough with you and me okay i'm just gonna say that listen up everybody i cannot thank you enough for once again making fostering change one of the number one podcasts when it comes to fostering and adoption i truly do believe that change happens when we educate ourselves and we must educate ourselves more than just reading a book but truly talking to people finding out what's truly going on and making sure that you educate your mind so you can educate your future again the book is a suit garbage bag suitcase you can get it on garbagebagsuitcase.com suitcase.com and do me a favor you know um reach out to my friend Shen if you have any questions until next time continue to be a good human. Take care. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, ComfortCases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange@comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks
1: again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.